0: Hello, my name is Robert Montague Renfield. And just like all these decent folks, I'm in a destructive relationship.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello, this is Wait. You haven't seen... It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 229 in our movie this week, 2023's Renfield, because we are in week three of Palooza. It's all Nick Cage, all month, and joining me, because he got to see it and made me wait like eight months, is J.F. <laughs> Duval, J.F., how you doing? Hello.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. I'm t- sorry.
1: You, you must, you had delighted in making me wait this long because it was before the movie came out, it hadn't hit theaters yet. And I get a message from you saying, Hey, I want to put my, I want to plant my flag for Renfield for this year's cage, cagey If no one else has taken it. And I was like, no one has. And then after I said yes, is when I realized he's going to go see the movie in the theater before I can. And then I'm going to have to wait. And you did. And, uh, whew it was tough it was really it was really hard waiting eight months or so or however long six months to watch this but also avoiding i wanted to avoid like knowing anything about it before i went in to see it
0: well the good thing is that this is a nicholas holt nicholas cage movie so it didn't get a lot of like people weren't trading spoilers or trying to like avoid spoilers like it's a mandalorian episode so <laughs> you know, yeah. it's 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 not like this hit the theaters and people were trying. Oh man, wait for the after credit scene. Like no one no one cares about that. Like so it's easy to avoid any spoilers. But yeah, no, I I've been seeing you do Cage Palooza for a couple of years now, I think, and I there's a very limited amount of Cage movies that I really need to see and enjoy. You <laughs> were kind of hitting most of them. And I saw the preview for that and I went, no, this is. I got to talk about this because this is going to be, if it sucks, it's going to be great to talk about how much it sucks. And if it doesn't, it's going to be great to talk about how great it is? But if we're really lucky, it's going to hit that little, that sweet Nicholas Cage spot. And you know what? I, I think it did.
1: I, I agree. I mean, there are certain times where you see a trailer for a movie or you hear a concept for a movie and you just know, I know what I'm getting into. Like I can prepare myself for what this, I can prepare myself to, to, to be ready to like, just take in whatever this is. It could be good. It could be bad. Like you said, Um, I'm reminded of uh, Kevin Smith talking about when he pitched his movie, Zach and Miri make a porno. Mm -hmm. Um, He was talking to, and I think it might've been the Weinsteins back when he was still working with them, but he, he pitched the title. And they were just like, all right, let's do it. And he goes, don't, don't, you want to, you want to hear the elevator pitch? And they were like, I mean, the title kind of tells us what the movie's going to be. And he goes, no, well, that's fair. All right. And then he made that movie, whether you liked it or not. Like he pretty much got it based on the title. And that was sort of when I heard Nicholas Cage playing Dracula in, uh, in Renfield, I was like, well, I'm in no matter what. And now it's just a question of what do we get? And, this was a lot of fun. Now, first of oh, all, yeah. I mean, if we have made we, it this we, far... played,
0: we played cage roulette, and I think we won.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, be prepared, because we are going to talk all about the movie. Uh, so if you, if you haven't seen it yet, and you don't want anything spoiled, come back to this after you've had a chance to see it. It's streaming right now on Peacock. But here's the thing. With this movie, there isn't anything to really spoil.
0: No. It's...
1: Because it's not that type of movie.
0: No, it, as far as the storytelling is concerned, it is paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. You are going to see this movie because you're going to go enjoy some, uh, some performances more than anything. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes it's uh, you're going in for the, the cheese, the, there's a, uh, Nicholas Cage for me. And the reason that I started doing this on the show back in year one and just do it every year is he's such an, interesting actor because you kind of never know exactly what you're going to get from him, but you always know sort of what you're going to get from him at the same time. Like You know he's going to make some choices, but you're never entirely sure what those choices are and if they will work or not. Like Sometimes he can make those choices and you get just the gloriously over-the-top performance like Caster Troy in Face Off, where he's just Chewing scenery like it's like it's going out of style, and other times the choices get made, and you get something like uh, Drive Angry, where you're just like, what What happened here? Or uh, even last week's movie, which last week I talked about Jujitsu, which wasn't great, but like he wasn't he. I don't I don't know what thought process he went through, or if there was any, but it just felt like they needed to go further with him. Like he's supposed to be playing the crazy old hermit man. And he He never really got to that point, for me.
0: My theory um, about Nicolas Cage is that um, he very much sees himself as an artist. Mm. In this, and in the sense that he will play the role to the best of his abilities, but what the, the variations aren't a variation in the quality or effort he brings. He always brings hundred and ten percent, but. Right whether he's trying to paint a Picasso or he's trying to do some Bob Ross stuff, or he, he's going more into a Rombra, like the, the 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 brush he's bringing is going to change depending on what kind of artistic movement he's into at that time. And that's, yeah. that's the gamble. That's the Nicolas Cage gamble.
1: <laughs> right. Cause you're either getting Lord of war, which I think is a fantastic performance. And I think the movie is really strong or you get season of the witch, which little less. So uh, I mean, it was just kind of there.
0: It's still a, he still invests himself into performance. It's just not oh, a performance absolutely. that matches with what, what the movie was trying to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can I mean, never, you, you never really can claim Nicholas Cage phones it in. Like he is no, no, always no. present a hundred percent. And he doesn't take, he doesn't take on projects. He's not committed to in some way. Exactly. Even if it's just, I need money and I'm going to do six, seven, eight, ten 10 movies in a year. Like, he's he's still committing to every one of them that he says yes to
0: yeah no definitely and i think at this point in Nicolas cage's career if you don't get the Nicolas cage that you needed for your movie then it's on the director's fault like it, it's it's on oh, sure. his head like you know you should be able to communicate like okay this is the movie i'm making does it accommodate a Nicholas cage or am I going to be like, am I bringing a wild card into like a well-balanced game of Jenga? (laughs) Yeah. Am Um, am I, am I giving my turn at Jenga to pull the piece of wood to a ferret or am I going (laughs) to do this in a calculated (laughs) manner?
1: That's very true. Um, And the thing with something like this is it's a role like Nicholas cage has um, So they, they filmed or they set it in New Orleans. And I think part of that was that, uh, I think they were filming there too. I believe, although it's hard to tell.
0: Okay. So there's a variety of possible reasons. First of all, if you're going to try to attract Nicolas Cage to a location to do something, New Orleans is probably the lowest hanging fruit. Like, doesn't he already have a mausoleum built there for himself? Yes, he does. I like. I think the Nicolas Cage New Orleans relationship is already established enough that if you're gonna say, "Hey Nick, you want to shoot a movie? It's gonna be in New Orleans." You've yeah, you've already got like a lot of the groundwork done. <laughs> yeah. Um. That being said, it is one of the least New Orleans movies I've seen set in New Orleans. Like they it don't. Doesn't, yeah. It they, they doesn't make go the back. City
1: like, a character. No,
0: it? not even a little. You like you see a couple of places that are you know obvious tourist attractions from new orleans but like they, mm-hmm. they, they don't make the obligatory well it's mardi gras this time of year like they don't do right. all the normal stuff that you see like whenever there's a movie set in new orleans they, they there's not there's none of that oh we're going to the french quarter now like none of that typical none of those typical tropes it's yeah. in new orleans because it's in new orleans probably because norleans and vampires is kind of cool but also like catnip for nicholas cage probably a little bit of that i'm sure um but it
1: this just feels like it was a tailor-made role to offer to him he i know he's a big fan of nosferatu um and like vampire movies and dracula in general so i think he probably in, he wanted to play this role at some point and he gets to do it here and he gets to kind of incorporate all sorts of different versions of Dracula into one well,
0: this Cage Didn't he have like a list of four roles he wanted to hit? One of them being Superman, one of them being Dracula and two others. I can't remember.
1: I don't remember the other two, but I know Superman was one of them for sure.
0: Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, and I, this is a I good know, way of getting this, him to hit the the Dracula one.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, because I know he was a big fan of um, Christopher Lee's Dracula, the yeah. Hammer Hammer film Dracula, um, because he, I remember reading about that when I... Uh, actually, it was fourth season of the witch because they were both in that. Um, so that was kind of a thing for him. But like, also, I'm pretty sure and I I did not get a chance to, to fully check this out, but I'm pretty sure Cage was uh, part... You know, like, co-producer, executive producer of shadow of the vampire i don't know if you remember that movie it came out uh around 2001 oh, no, I,
0: re- I remember it not because i saw it but because i knew it existed yeah which is
1: a decent movie um and it's all you know set around the filming of nosferatu um with uh john malkovich wait playing no FW i take it, it back now. i
0: did see shadow of the vampire i did see it but that was yeah. 20 odd years ago and i was drunk <laughs>
1: I love the um, Willem Dafoe in it, playing Max Shrek. I thought he yes. was he was great. Uh, and it's John Malkovich, and I always enjoy John Malkovich. But I believe Cage produced that or co-produced it or something because it was a a thing he was a, all about at the time. So know. Uh, yeah, Nicholas Cage producer. Okay, so like it was a thing. It, you know he he likes this story a lot of Dracula and what's kind of fun about this particular movie Renfield is it's sort of a sequel to 1931's Dracula in, in some ways Um, because you've got a, like in the, in the book Renfield is much older, right? He's what is he like close to 60? I think when they, when they encounter him in the, uh, in the asylum,
0: oh it, that's a hard one because old when bram stoker wrote dracula and old today are two fangs so today's 60 was that times 40. fair so to speak. but he's older but he
1: was older, older than, than nicholas what, holt yeah and in the 1931 dracula film um uh, the actor who played um renfield whose name escapes me at the moment but he was around the same age he was kind of early 30s um So they sort of kind of built off of that. And I loved, I loved the opening to this movie where he, you know, because it's using the trope of uh, our main character narrating his story. Yes. And then we get kind of the um, little flashback thing going on where he starts to, he's telling you a little bit of the background of what went on and they took shots from the Bela Lugosi Dracula and inserted Holt and Cage into them.
0: Yeah. And I, I, and I got a kick out of that. To, to the point where it felt, I wasn't sure at first if they just didn't reach, they hadn't just reshot it. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, that I'm usually not a fan of narrations like that. It needs to be a specific type of movie. And I think comedies usually handle it better because in a comedy, you don't necessarily want to have subtle exposition like you want to know what your premise is and what your rules are from the get-go so you can get to you know the gags and and the funnies
1: yeah and and i'm with you like for the most part narration like that in a movie it it ends up more often than not being you know the blade runner narration where it doesn't need to be there or dark city was another one that had that voiceover because a lot of noir try it to use it. Yeah. It was a very- I was
0: going to say maybe noir gets a little bit more of a pass because that is, you know, part of the, the DNA of the genre, but again, it needs to be done so much better. And I find that in noir movies compared to like in Ryan Renfield, it's, it's very much there to tell you what the rules are, move the story along do a bunch of things that would be considered lazy in screenwriting normally while in the noir genre the it is used in that way but also to give you the unreliable narrator perspective of the main character and that is part and parcel of noir genre whereas in renfield it's not necessarily the case no
1: um but i liked the use of it here um and and again just giving us that quick, those moments in the beginning that are pulled right from the movie, from the old movie. And like, I love the I don't drink wine, you know, and it's all that kind of stuff was just a fun way to set things up and just give you like, all right, now you know what you're, you you, you have an idea of what the rest of the movie can kind of be like
0: in a way. There's your appetizer. Now you know what to expect as far as the flavor profile for the rest of the meal.
1: Yes, except for the gore level, which was wrecked way up.
0: <laughs> it it was not great in any way. Like the award, good special effects was a lot of digital splatters. Like just, I mean, fine, but also goreier so than I, expected. I, yeah, I use
1: the term "cartoonish gore" a lot. Um, I I enjoyed um a movie it was punisher war zone very few people actually saw it uh it came out it had ray stevenson playing frank castle it was like 2000 i want to say like 2011 or something it ended up being kind of a lower budget thing but it was real it was hard r-rated very gory but like it was over the top violence and it's a punisher movie so there's going to be violence in it anyway, so they just went for it they had like you know all sorts of stuff. but it was cartoonish in its nature because of how over the top it was but this was cartoonish not only in its nature but also in kind of the look of it like the the cg blood splattering everywhere looked almost animated um like like cartoon I mean, animation
0: yeah at times. and there's a lot of scenes like the uh, the battle scene in the courtyard which is probably the bloodiest scene of all the two main characters walk out of there with nary a stain of blood on them <laughs> yeah I know which in of itself is its own gag <laughs> that uh, that
1: had the, that's the one that had the gag where he um, grabs rips the, guy by the wrist arms and, and rips off the arms. I, that yeah. was again, it's so ridiculous uh, that I loved it. I loved every, like they, they used the rule of threes and they had the, Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit.
0: Mm-hmm. All
1: th- like three different people with it. And then he's just swinging those arms around. But what got me on that, it was enough that he was, you know, beaten people up with a with a set of one dude's arms but when he used them like a like a couple of spears and pinned those guys to walls i was like okay all right we have now we've turned a corner
0: and one of the things that i found especially now i've seen it twice so i saw it once in theater when it came out just to make sure i got mm-hmm. the jump on you and i saw it again uh two days ago uh two three on on thursday Okay. so that I could have a fresher memory of it. But one thing that kind of struck me, obviously the people don't get bloodstains on them all that often, considered the amount of gore. But also the number of time Renfield is shocked at his own strength, even though he's been doing <laughs> yeah. this for a decade. It's like, Oh, <laughs> why are you surprised now? You did like you knock someone's head off and like in your first fight scene in the movie. And yeah, now you're surprised you can rip you can rip arms off. Like you've been at this, you know what's you know what's up. He, he's been at it for like a century, and yet
1: it's it's like every time is the first time he's done it, which is pretty impressive. Um, I I did enjoy the world they created for this because it's absolutely ridiculous not real world at all with the way like literally the entire police department is on the take except for one i cop. don't
0: think i don't i don't think what is it, his name kevin kyle kyle <laughs> um kyle i don't think kyle was on the take it didn't seem like it was sharp enough
1: uh i mean maybe not on purpose but he's sort of following anyway but it was it was the the like that or the opening fight scene you mentioned where he knocks the guy's head off like that assassin, yes, is just completely ridiculous, made for a good joke, though, I did like the joke when they cut to uh what is
0: it Johnny or Tony um in the car um, yeah, I think it's probably Tony because very yeah. teddy, teddy. teddy Teddy Lobo because he's credited
1: as Tedward Lobo, which <laughs> is fantastic um. But it it did make for... That That was a great joke when he's talking to the guy on the phone and he mentioned, because the the assassin's name is Apache Jim. He's like, well, I don't... You tell him it's
0: it's, uh, racist. (laughs) Have you seen what that guy does? And... It is, like, that That did strike because they, they mention, oh, like, he's probably, like, uh, the Lobos probably send, like, an, an assassin after us. And you expect, all right, there's going to be some dude dressed in black, like, in a cat suit doing assassin stuff. And they send this super villain, <laughs> they send this, Like, a seven-foot-tall super villain, <laughs> Like, this guy from, like, Spider-Man's backup Rogue Gallery shows up. <laughs> like, what Pretty is much going? Yeah. Like, what is this, Midnight Suns? What's happening? I liked the reveal of
1: it, though, where he's he's beating up all the guys and he's partway through and he goes, wait, did you say an assassin was coming here? And then just turns around and the guy's there. There was good like the comedic timing of some of these gags was really good. Um, And I found out after the fact I didn't recognize the name Chris McKay, the director off the just I didn't recognize the name, but looked it up. He has uh, he started out as an editor and then he worked on things like Robot Chicken um All but right. he directed the lego batman movie from a couple of years ago
0: oh yeah okay
1: and uh i really liked that he was an editor on the lego movie um and then he made the lego batman movie the tomorrow war which i heard kind of mixed things
0: about uh, i mean it's, um, it's a chris pratt vehicle with time travel there's there, there is, there's no world in which i was going to go see that
1: <laughs> um but I I think that his timing, his comedic timing was really good on a lot of the gags that they they
0: did throughout this movie. Oh, Um, yeah. And going back to the narration, like some of the best narration bits are these one sentence narration observation about things. Like um, when he gets back to his apartment and Dracula's waiting for him in there and he just references the welcome, uh, the welcome (laughs) hat.
1: That is now... My favorite gag involving it's vampires can't so come good. in unless they're invited because it's, I kid you not, I was cackling when that happened watching it because it's his real estate so as good. he walks in and he's just sees Dracula sitting there and it's a shot and the camera pans down and you just see the welcome man and It says, welcome, come on in. And he's like, oh shit, <laughs> he he messed up and he knew it right. It was so that was wow, perfect. Um
0: is a good and, way of uh, hand waving the thing so you can have your scene without worrying about that little piece of mythos.
1: Yeah. Well, and then they, you know, they uh they use the joke again later when Dracula shows up at the support meeting, and yeah. it's the guy leading the support meeting saying, Yeah, come on in. You know, he's inviting him in. So Which which is like, normal. They, That's what
0: you'd expect would happen at one yeah. of these things.
1: But you know, in and in, in Renfield's kind of defense. He wouldn't th- like he knows he knows Dracula enough to know that he has to be invited in, but it wouldn't wouldn't dawn. I don't think it would dawn on him that the welcome mat would be enough for it until after it happens. So it's kind of a gag that like I can I can buy, because if you think about it, he's doing the movie trope thing of like changing his entire life in a single day.
0: Yeah. is it, I mean, he bought this while on the shopping spree.
1: Yeah. So cause he did the shopping spree. He bought clothes. He rented an apartment uh cleaned it up and painted it and changed his entire wardrobe in the span of like eight hours
0: yeah i can't <laughs> like i can't buy the paint i can't choose the colors for the paint in half the, yeah. like in that time
1: and he had every wall a different color too like the kitchen was bright green and then it was orange out here and so
0: oh, but yeah lo- he, uh, that- he pimped that studio apartment <laughs>
1: I I do like that trope though. That is such a tropey thing in like movies and television where somebody decides they're going to, they're going to change their life around and you get that montage. And like in this, it happened in a single day and they never make mention of it whatsoever because later that day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's later that day, he goes to the police department to give his statement about what happened the night before at the, um, the Mexican restaurant. So, you know, it's still the same day. I just like, I like that. And I like not mentioning it. That to me is a funny, makes it funnier in a, uh, an extra layered way. Um, and so, yeah, I totally bought that. He wouldn't think about the welcome mat at all. He was just too much of a whirlwind of doing everything. Um, so that one, that one got me so much. Uh, there was, there was a few moments in this that, that made me laugh pretty good. I did. Okay. Where do you stand on? Cause we've talked about cage a little bit. Um, and we'll get to Nicholas Holt, enough. and I want to talk about them more. Not not enough yet, but where do you stand on Aquafina? Do you like her in things? Are you do you not have much of a background? Uh, how, where are you on Aquafina? Because she feels here's kind of polarizing to me. Like
0: people either really like her or can't stand her. I I, I think people are just I, I think people are approaching her the same way they're approaching uh, Nicholas Cage in a way in that they have expectations <laughs> that they should not have. And I'm not saying because here's the thing. Whenever she's in a movie, which hasn't been a lot of movies I've seen, but whenever she's in a movie, I never, it's always at the end I go, oh yeah, she's an actress that exists. Like I forget (laughs) her existence for the most part, but it's never because like the performance was necessarily forgettable or bad, but I think because they're different, I mean, and this is a comedy, like she's working what she's got. Mm-hmm. But she is doing the Nicolas Cage thing of putting a lot of energy into it. She's definitely going for it. She's going for those scenes. She's not trying to shift the role into something else. Um, I, I think as style. far as this movie is concerned, if if so, I haven't seen her in enough things to get a good impression of what that style is.
1: I think the reason I say that is because I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of her in things, but like this character is a very similar character to what she did in Shang-Chi in the legend of the 10 rings. She's playing yes. almost the same character as in that. And uh, I saw her in something now she had, I, I've heard that she um, I think it's her. She had a show called um, Aquafina is Nora from Queens. That's supposed to be pretty good. Um, and like, and I find her funny. I think she's got good timing and I think that she, like you said, brings a good energy. Um, Mm -hmm. but I just noticed like, as I was watching this, it felt very similar to the type of character that very sarcastic and, uh, quippy character that she played in, in Shang-Chi. Now that's not a bad thing because I think it absolutely fit the tone of this movie. Uh, a hundred percent for me
0: yeah and I mean listen it's not like typecasting was invented yesterday either some people <laughs> are good true. at certain things there's there's certain roles I wouldn't hire certain uh, actors for and some that some are better quality. like uh I say like you hire George Clooney because you want a debonair smirky you know handsome dude you don't hire George Clooney because you want this high drama they uh, some actors you know what you're getting because you're shopping that particular side page of the catalog.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I had no idea that she was in this until she showed up. Uh I had no idea she in was it. in
0: this until the credits. <laughs>
1: So I, there was she's that. just
0: not someone that's in, on my radar all, radar all that much. But as far as her completing the assignment of the role of Rebecca in that movie, I think she did fine. Like you said, her comedic timing was good. Um, her energy was there. Her behavior, like if you if you go into like sort of cut out certain specific pieces of acting when she's acting the wounded cop in renfield's apartment she does a good job like i've seen mm-hmm. better actors do a shittier job of being wounded in movies yeah like the just the moment trying to like not let go of her gun so using it to prop herself up as she's trying to get, like she does fine mm-hmm. in this movie i don't um. know maybe she sucks out elsewhere i don't know <laughs> Uh, what did you think of Nicholas Holt in this? I think, I think he did great. I think he did fantastic. But then again, he did... He did great because he was doing Nicholas Holt things. <laughs> did he sound like Hugh
1: Grant to you, or am I crazy? Because I got, like, the voice felt like a Hugh Grant voice he was doing through most of the movie.
0: And Maybe. I don't know if it's just that
1: I've heard him do other other accents and other voices, like his... His accent—he's using an American accent in the X-Men movies when he's playing Hank McCoy, and uh, when he was one of the War Boys in it was completely different. He just he did a lot of screaming in that, but it, yeah. I got like that was just what he sounded like to me. It was it was good. I I liked it quite a bit, um, but it just uh, that was the the thing that kept coming to mind. It's like
0: a little Hugh Grant going going on with the voice. I, I didn't pay enough attention to his voice to really judge. Um, I was looking more at the energy he was putting into the character, like, and in that he does good. Like he, I just say he overacts it by about five percent, just enough that you can say, oh, he's overacting," but not to the point where it's distracting. Mm-hmm. Like there is a oh, there's definitely. there's a touch of caricature in it that I think works say it works in his role in Mad Max it works in this I think it would not work in other places then again I haven't like seen his entire catalog far from it. so
1: I haven't seen his entire but I have seen him in quite a few things And I do think one of the things I like about him is he's got some decent range um this is him getting to ham it up a little bit go a little bit more like you said caricature uh, because the nature of the movie and the type of character that he's playing here, whereas he's a lot more reserved in the X Men movies as Hank McCoy, based on that the character that he's playing. Um, I
0: keep forgetting he played that.
1: Yeah, I really. I mean, it's because every like all the fan casting for so long was it's got to be Kelsey Grammer because of the voice, and I mean he did it for four movies. He was uh, Hank. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that you can sometimes forget, and I realized it in a couple of the action sequences in this movie is he's not a small guy. He's like nearly six foot three and he's decently well-built, but the way like he carries himself very small and hunched over in this movie a lot as Renfield, which especially in the beginning.
0: Speaks to the character. It's a, it's a good way of portraying Mm -hmm. portraying the, the, the eternal servant.
1: Yeah. Um, But it's just it it always impresses me when somebody can because like you think of some of these uh, actors that are that size, you know, he's he's maybe a little more uh, slender than like your your Chris Evans or Hemsworth's or those kinds of guys. But he's that same height. He's and he's got fairly broad shoulders, but I never think of him as being like an imposing figure. But he kind of is like he's. He's definitely in good shape, too. And so that works for the action sequences in this movie,
0: um, which helps quite yeah, a bit. I, I mean, hmm. I, I, it, it's rare that in Hollywood you can get a role if you're not built. Like It's the same way Like Hollywood has a tendency to bring in beautiful people and just like give them a, a slight sexy scar and say, oh, he's hideous.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Like every, that's a trope. Everybody's
0: beautiful, even when they're deformed. Yeah, I don't know if you remember yeah, the the movie. Thing. Yeah, the movie Beastly, which was supposed to. Oh, you've got some sick tattoos, and we're supposed to believe you're repulsive. <laughs> I don't got remember sick that. Tattoos one, but... on your six pack abs? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but I think <laughs> what he
1: did, what Holt did here, that worked really well, is the the physicality of like when we, you know, he's knock need and he's, he's always kind of keeping himself small, that eternal servant, And because it's I his think movie that's a
0: bit too. of what I call Nicholas Holt, you know, do, doing the Nicholas Holt thing is you can see a little bit of that in warm bodies. You can see a little bit of that even in Mad Max, like as a war boy, like he's still like, he's good at playing someone that's subservient and has the body language of someone that's subservient.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he definitely pulled has pulled that off uh well in the past. Um I liked that we got to see him cuz it's it's Renfield's story. And like I said, where it's sort of that pseudo sequel to the 1931 Dracula. We're following him uh and getting sort of a little bit of a peek into him. There's not a ton of depth um in the character. You you mentioned at the top of the show how it was very kind of paint-by-numbers in terms of the storytelling, and it definitely is. But, uh, you know, we find out about his wife and child, and he gets a little bit of uh, stuff to do there. But it's more of him trying to realize that he can stand up for himself and doesn't have to serve forever, even though that's what he was willing to do back then for whatever power he thought he was going to get. It's sort of that buyer's remorse uh he He got for his deal with Dracula. It just took a long time for that to set in
0: yeah and i I do like that it's not one of the movie those movies that they don't try to wedge in a cool excuse for him to do this, like he didn't do it because, oh, his wife was sick and he needed the money to pay like no he and Dracula is one hundred percent on the money when he says no, you did it for yourself. Mm -hmm. like you let that you left them behind while you followed me through through eternity and they don't try to you know rose color glass that one it's that is what he did and it's part of his arc to accept and move on from that and if if i'm going to give the movie credit for breaking a little out of some of the cliches that is something interesting they did with the character that i I was expecting them to the same way they fix a lot of things at the last minute. I was expecting <laughs> them to fix that one too with a little bit of a hand waving storytelling.
1: Yeah, i I was the same way. I felt like okay, at some point we're going to get the tragic backstory of Renfield and why he did what he did. And no, it wasn't that at all. He just and and I, I like that you mentioned how things get. I my note was wrapping everything up like a sitcom episode. <laughs> At the end of this oh my god do they do that but
0: like honestly the, i forgive it because the results are worth it
1: oh yeah like when when they're bringing out um the mother of the the lobos uh okay well the, i
0: did not know that actress in particular was going to be in that movie and i was did delighted I.
1: oh she's wonderful i'm gonna butcher the hell out of her name
0: yeah, that's. Um, th- this is why I said that actress. I know, like, I have a visual <laughs> of her. What her name is? How her name is spelled? I have a visual of her Twitter handle, and yep. um, but I'm not going to attempt it because I always miss it up.
1: I believe it is uh, Shori Agdashlu. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the, the Shori. I I was comfortable with the, 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 yeah. the surname. I didn't. I, I wasn't going to watch uh, that. Walk that's what that time over, for. Me.
1: But but she is playing Bella Francesca lobo and i do, i adore her she has that presence part of it is the voice right she's got the voice that uh that just sounds like it was just a constant string of camel cigarettes for like 50 years and it's Listen. it's that smoky husky voice that she's got and it's like the second you hear it you know yeah. even if you
0: don't recognize her or you don't know her name you know who she
1: is from that voice
0: oh absolutely and one day god will reach down from his heaven and call back his uh, his angel morgan Fried freeman <laughs> and we will turn to Shuri to as as the new voice of cool narration because absolutely hot damn she will deserve it
1: um yes and so she doesn't have a ton to do in this movie but it was a delight. Like that's the type I love castings like that, where it's somebody who they're not an A-lister, right? It's not
0: her in for a day.
1: Oh yeah. But it's, it's like, it's not an A-list cat and it doesn't, it's not a stunt casting. It's not, you know, uh, bringing somebody in for a cameo, but it's like getting somebody who has a presence and a, a face or a voice that you recognize and just lends something else to that, that role. Like, you could really put just about anyone in the role of mama Lobo in this movie, but her being that it, it's the, it's the salt to the food to add that seasoning, to just, just make it something a little bit better.
0: It's it, well, I don't know if it's a little bit better, but again, like, and I think this is why this movie is kind of a perfect Nicolas Cage movie is because again, it is one of those things where the, the actor brings their own thing and that flavors the story because i would have been equally satisfied if they would have brought in kathy B- kathy bates mm-hmm. and there was no doubt in my mind that kathy bates given a, a day of doing that character would have done something incredible but completely different
1: mm-hmm. although and that would now have you make changed the flavor
0: that. <laughs> yeah the, the, that role is cake and the whatever incredible are art, actress you bring to it is a different flavor. Are you having are you having a strawberry cake? Are you having chocolate? It, it really depends on who you bring the cakes going to be as delicious, but completely different. And I think that's yeah. that's the case here. That's a
1: that is a great way to put that. And I, I, I just I'm food analogies.
0: Her. Ask anyone.
1: <laughs> this is true. Ask Amy. I, I have heard many of them. <laughs> um. But yeah, she she was a lot of fun. But when they're walking her out at the end, and it's Aquafina and her sister, and that was that like wrapping it up like a like a sitcom moment for me because I'm like, wait a minute, wasn't she on like a stretcher? What, weren't they implying that they had killed her, and now she's just fine, like because they had the they they had the bucket of Dracula blood.
0: Yes, so specifically their, Dracula blood. <laughs> that's Which... the McGuffin to just fix everything at the end, and I loved that. I, I love that when Teddy Lobo calls them Dracula Powers, um <laughs> Renfield says, I don't call him that. Like he get, it gets him angry, but at the end he still has a picture of Dracula blood. <laughs> yes. It's like a fine, yes. I'll lean into it. And is it me or was there a not quite Batman 66 level, but oddly close level of labeling going on in this movie yes there's a lot more object being objects being labeled than necessary
1: there were a like, lot of labeled objects and a lot of easter eggs in those labels and name yeah. tags and things i
0: i did not need someone to tell me that the switch that turns on the shades i don't i didn't need shades to be laid put on that on that button like that was unnecessary but it's there oh no, and but he you made know what a point I f- to show us
1: I feel like that was labeled for Teddy right like mom labeled that for him because Teddy's an idiot and at some point in that case I need a close
0: up of I need a close up of (laughs) Teddy's guns to see if it's in right gun and left gun (laughs) because he had two guns
1: (laughs) of course he did like an Um,
0: idiot (laughs)
1: Teddy was a character that was just ridiculous. Ben Schwartz played him to perfection as just completely useless. (laughs) But, you know, just a a total Nepo baby in the crime family of the Lobos, which, by the way, I like the crime family being the Lobos, and that's who Dracula kind of takes control of at the end.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It's a a nice one because it's one where, obviously, if you know the, the Dracula story, you know wolves are a big thing, so... It's just a nice yeah. way to do that. Um,
0: and just like this, this is part of like the writing and directing that is subtly above average. Like Renfield eats bugs to get in his power, but mm-hmm. Teddy Lobo snorts a millipede <laughs> yeah. because he sells cocaine and he's a cokehead. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's gross as hell, uh-huh. but it is also subtly in character. Like, yes. This is where he gets his power. That's his high. It's like, it's there's so many of these small touches in the movie that are easy to gloss over, but are actually kind of secret genius. Yeah. But I wanted to yeah, take yeah. a minute. And uh, if if you Google, um, if you Google Renfield cast, you'll notice that you mm-hmm. get like the uh, the normal, uh, like the, the cast list. And you'll see that the first five, like you've got Nicolas Cage face, Nicholas Holt face, Aquafino face, Ben Schwartz face. Shuri on a couch (laughs) yeah jenna cannell face like everybody's is a headshot except for her she's on a luscious wonderful um, divan. it's so good
1: yes oh and and all the better for it uh yeah
0: sorry for the the listeners but you'll have to get on a browser to see what i'm talking about
1: it's worth it though it's worth it um yeah yeah teddy teddy is just such a funny like again, useless character, but he's perfect in the movie. And it's great to have him be the because, you know, this is a type of movie that's going to have the fight at the end where he's got to fight a dark version of himself like and so he gets the, the the him and Teddy fight, which doesn't go on as long as I thought and had quite the ending to it Um, with that, that x-ray, x-ray shot, shot which that started <laughs> off a lot, and I thought I knew what was going. A lot going but,
0: on in there
1: it it did not end the way that i expected let's put it that way um i'm going to i'm going to leave that for people to see for themselves uh,
0: yeah if if it, it's worth pausing to see exactly what happens to this poor dude's anatomy
1: cuz it was like 3 quarters of the way through it and then i saw what was hap- what was coming and i'm like oh no <laughs> given given what we've already seen in this movie no um but yeah, I, uh, that was that was great, um, and uh, and again, like it's it's fun to see those two superpowered, and they were they were very different uses of it too, because Teddy's enjoying the hell out of having it, and whereas Renfield is so reluctant to to use that power, although when he needs it, he needs it, and him scarfing down that kid's ant farm was another one of those. Great gag. Gets a bit of
0: power from sand, also (laughs) because because
1: he he ate a lot of sand there. But that was yeah. That gag was another one of those great comedic timing moments where it was just like because it caught me. I knew what was happening, but I didn't know what the payoff was. How they were going to display the payoff, and it was really good.
0: Yeah, when he releases all the bugs in the courtyard and gives that one ant to that kid for his anthill, which by the way, if you know anything about ants, the ant he gave he put in that anthill is dead. <laughs> it got oh, dismembered time. immediately. Mm-hmm. It, you don't smell like our ants so you're dead. Um, but yeah, you knew like all right, something's going to happen with those those bugs for a reason like he's not yeah. suddenly PETA for out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> um and then, of course, Nicolas Cage doing Nicolas Cage as Dracula throughout the whole thing. Like, it starts off with everything in the flashbacks, but then when, the fight at the beginning, where he's fighting um, what has to be Van Helsing and like I, a priest. Yeah. Or whatever. Basically, the um, church, I guess. Yeah. So he's fighting that, and they do the protection circle. Which becomes Chekhov's protection circle because that's gonna happen again later, of course, um, but uh like that whole scene, and then of course they open the the blinds and he gets burned. So then they're going like that makeup that they used was simultaneously really good, and you kind of mentioned sort of bordering on sort of the Batman sixty six levels of kind of ridiculous. It kind of felt like that a little bit, like it was just weird enough where like as he's he's gaining his strength back which apparently has taken him well we don't know exactly how long but i've got to assume it's several decades and he's still got like one ear that's hanging lower than the other on like the side of his head and um i guess it's to give us an idea of like because what is it renfield says when he's dragging those bodies in towards the beginning into the hospital that like their their bank account is low like the money isn't there And so Mm -hmm. it probably just took a lot longer to uh, to get enough blood for him to eat. I don't, you know, I don't know, but I like what a uh, set
0: that is. By the way, like the empty IV like blood bags hanging around, like the the backdrop, like it makes the Iron Throne look unintimidating.
1: (laughs) It really does. They they did not waste uh any design on like that was well designed well put together set for his little layer inside that hospital
0: right yeah
1: i loved it it was fantastic and it it ends up being the centerpiece of a couple of different scenes which is good
0: it's most of the kind of horror scenes i would say like the parts are meant to be creepier less less more creepy than gory happened there Mm mm-hmm and it's a good place Which, for it.
1: Yeah, if you're gonna do that, an abandoned hospital is perfect because those are those are never a comfortable place to be, in my opinion.
0: Even unabandoned hospitals.
1: <laughs> well, fair. Um I liked that, and then I like how, you know, he leaves that and gets his bright colored apartment, because that's you know, everything is brightly colored when Renfield leaves. It's the polar opposite of what he's been dealing with. Um but yeah, just cage cage, just going for it. And I guess I read that he filed his teeth down so that the, the prosthetics would fit better. And so that he wouldn't have that uh, problems with enunciation that you get when you're wearing big fake teeth. God, I hope he didn't. <laughs> so
0: I painful and reversible. I, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if he did, that's some dedication, if not then what they gave him were really good prosthetics and probably some cge
0: extension to that
1: well and also
0: prosthetics nowadays are not as terrible as they used to They're, be they are a lot better yeah they do fit a lot better um yeah the, the teeth look a... great yeah yeah he it, the whole thing like through his reg- regeneration does look pretty great like from the moment he's burnt to a crisp <laughs> Which... like master are you okay no <laughs> no it's the perfect the perfect response
1: um yeah i no i loved it i loved all the different stages of it you see him kind of slowly getting put back together um it was really cool looking
0: and going back to the scene in the apartment the amount of work um nicholas cage does with his face without saying a word as he's listening to renfield's excuses is freaking wonderful <laughs> He is, and I, I heard this joke
1: somewhere, and I've made it a few times, and I'm probably going to make it again next week. Um, and when you hear which movie it is, you'll understand why. But somebody had made a joke years ago that it, they, they were like, if Nicolas Cage could undergo a surgery to turn him into a cartoon character... He would absolutely do it, like a Looney Tunes character. And I, I feel mean, like it's
0: not impossible that he is the Lo- Looney Tunes character that underwent a surgery to pass as human, to
1: human. He's like he's like Judge Doom in uh, yes. Roger Rabbit. He's a toon, but he looks like a human being. Because you're right, he's so he does so much expression with his face without saying a single word, and he's doing this under makeup too, which is even more impressive. Yeah, he even the light amounts be- of makeup.
0: He manages to be perfectly sarcastic without saying a word through makeup. Yeah. It's like, tell me he's not a good actor. Like, yes, he's a specific actor, but he's not mm-hmm. a bad actor.
1: No, and I I will defend him as a good actor. I mean, number one, whether or not you put any stock in Academy Awards, he is an Academy Award winning actor. Like other people have recognized his performances as good. But if you look at him in stuff like – um well, leaving Las Vegas, but uh, one that I always bring up is Bringing Out the Dead. If you've seen that movie, he is fantastic yeah. in that. Uh, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. It um, came out in like 99, I think. It's got him and Ving Rhames and Mark Anthony. It's really good. See, he plays a... Um, John Goodman's in it as well. He plays a uh, an ambulance driver in New York City that works like overnights and he's having problems. Um, but Cage is great in it. Uh, he's great in Lord of War. He can be a compelling actor and give you performances, but he can also really ham it up and really go for it. And sometimes not even understand what he's doing himself. Like in the other vampire movie he did um, vampires kiss, where he's playing a person thinking they're becoming a vampire. And that one's great for me because his commentary track on the DVD, he's even saying like, I don't know what I was doing from in this scene at all. Like, I'm not sure why I did what I did here that kind of thing. But like, he's making choices and he does things and he does go over the top, but it's always to serve whatever he's doing in the movie. And I think it works most of no, the time, even, even when it's ridiculous. I think it still can work. Um, and this was one of those where he gets to be ridiculous and he had to be fun to do this. He had to just had a blast.
0: What What's great about it is that he is, only a little ridiculous, but of most of the characters, he's one, he still plays it somewhat straight in a lot of places.
1: Yeah. And I think because it's everything around him is so amped up to an 11 in terms of just like the silliness scale that he can come in and do this very over the top theatrical Dracula role and it not feel out of place. And it just works within the context of the movie. Cause sometimes I think that's what happens to him is that he is, he is over here doing something and it doesn't fit into what the movie wants to be Uh, at times, not always, but I've seen that at times. Whereas this was like, no, the movie was, was tailor made to fit around him in this character and the ridiculous look and these teeth and like, people aren't freaking out the second they see him with this pale skin. And like, he's, he's got kind of a blue look to him almost. Um, And I guess on set, the, the makeup made him look, the, the makeup director was saying that it was almost like a metallic look on set to the naked eye. But then the way they filmed it, it gave him this kind of almost iridescent glow. It was really kind of cool. And that's one
0: of the things that's interesting about how this was shot is that, it looks like Dracula is taken from a different movie <laughs> like he never he never looks like he's completely in supposed to be in the scene he's in
1: yeah I can see that
0: and I think and that that i I think that was a choice
1: yeah well like a scene will be real dark or something, but like he will have a green or blue glow to him almost. Mm-hmm. And he's
0: um, he always looks like he's lit a little differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you couple that with like just the teeth and the way he dresses. Like when he walks mm-hmm. into that uh that meeting, he's got his top hat and his cane, and he's just he's very, very over the top because he doesn't fully uh like understand the world because he just sort of lives off on his own but i loved i loved the idea of him getting the thought of wait why don't i just take over the world like i could do that i'm dracula and it's sort of a thing that like he's a god (laughs) and what i liked about that is that also has that very much that kind of sitcom feel of like Oh, I've got a brilliant idea. I'm going to do this crazy thing. And then it not work. And they just tie everything back up to the status quo at the end. Um, but it's so, nice yeah.
0: that he includes Reinf- uh, Renfield in it, like in his little plan where it's written Dracula. <laughs> and it's, it's like his, his little red yarn thing and just right under his name mm-hmm. and Renfield.
1: Oh, I love that. That was another one of those. that just it made me laugh. I couldn't help it. It was so good.
0: And I, I think um, it's one of those things that is great about the character. Like, there's not much layered into the character of Dracula in this. Like, he's very classic. Dracula is evil for evil's sake, drinks blood, violent, et cetera. Et cetera. And then there's this little drop of maybe, maybe being used to Renfield, maybe caring a little bit about Renfield, mm-hmm. being a little angry, that renfield wants out i think mean, that's cute it's, and and i
1: think too it doesn't overplay this card but there is definitely that whole sort of abusive relationship going on between renfield and dracula but it doesn't like it doesn't hit you over the head stupidly with it but at the same time mm-hmm. you're seeing all the the signs of it and you're seeing and that's that you know dracula shows up at his apartment. Is upset with him and tries to play the victim card and make it about because he's narcissistic. It's all about Dracula. Yeah, of course. And so, like, I really liked how but, that. And, played and out. I mean,
0: you, you you say they don't overplay it, but I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna counter by saying that maybe that's like half the premise of the movie, so maybe they do play it a lot. I mean, there's a whole like support I group guess, about it, so maybe. I, I guess it's less
1: that they don't. Maybe overplay it isn't the right word, but it doesn't feel. Like it's, it feels like it's the story they want to tell about Renfield. And so it fits with the overall story of the movie.
0: Right, right. It's it's a Renfield story that that mentions codependency, not a codependency with Renfield in it.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Like the spotlight remains on Renfield and his development of evolution as a character. That includes codependency. It's not. Here's a story about codependency, and as it happens, it's also Renfield.
1: Yeah. Um, I mentioned Chekhov's protection circle. That was another gag that really got me at the end uh, because it's so – it it shouldn't work. There's no logical reason for any of that to, to actually work, but I like that she looks it up on Wiccan Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And that apparently it's just any white powder will work, so she made a protection circle out of cocaine.
0: Because why not? Listen, I didn't go to Wicked Tumblr to double check if that was true or not. Um, I'm taking I'm taking the movie's word for it. But like in a less in a different movie, that
1: feels like a bad joke, right? Right. Like I can I can see the movie a movie using that joke and it making me roll my eyes so hard that like I see the back of my skull, and yet here. I loved it, and it made me laugh. And
0: yeah, I don't know... no, I mean, the rules were established the moment Renfield chops a guy's arms off with a dinner plate, with serving plate, and when he impales two other dudes with a third dude's arms. Like at that point, you go, "All right, this is over the top." I don't think they're going to need really a magic research montage at the Vatican to <laughs> uh, to pick up the spell they need.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, now this movie is just a lot of fun is really what it boils down to. He knew what it wanted to be like Chris McKay knew the film he wanted to make. And he put the right people in the right roles and he went for a tone and it just works. Is it the best movie I've seen this year? No. Um, But it is a lot of fun. As long as you can get over the barrier to entry, which is the gore level. I think that's the one thing that's going to, that's going to stop some people from, Either enjoying it or just exposing certain people to it, because then there's people that are sensitive to that, or like,
0: yeah, no, no, I get it. Like, like my my tolerance to gore is very specific. Like this kind, like this kind of gore doesn't bother me, but like anything that has tripophobia or certain specific types of body horror, anything that involves loss of uh, of body autonomy in horror, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. gets me. So yeah. like.
1: Well and, I, and it's one of the things with this movie is the gore in it is the gore level is high but it's so over the top and cartoonish both in its look and its tone and I do think and this was a note that I had was you could have done it without the fountains of blood and that kind of stuff you could have made the movie without that mhm but I don't think like I I think it's lesser without that. I think something it feels something would feel off like it would feel like now they should have just gone over the top. They should have really amped that up. It felt a little toothless without that like just ridiculous level of, of gore to
0: yeah, it. Yeah, and I agree with you and like the, the 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 ridiculousness of it being so cartoonish. It's like it's the same way the 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 wounds, the blood, the gore happens. Like a guy gets his face ripped off at <laughs> yeah. some point. And I know as a kid that would have freaked me the hell out because mm-hmm. I immediately think, well, what's going to happen to him later? How does that heal? Whatever. But it's also nice to have like someone get his face off in a Nicholas Gage movie. I don't know if that was mm-hmm. an intentional reference. If so, well done. But yes, it's the same thing. Like I see this and it's the same way that you're watching Tom and Tom and Jerry and a piano piano lens on, on Tom. You don't go, oh, I hope he's okay. It's like, no, it's a cartoon. Yeah. You you get that the violence is part of the humor here.
1: It's sort of like uh, this, the, the violence level in this is like, if the cartoon metalocalypse were done in live action, it's that level of, of like crazy.
0: I'm sure there's and a I, version of me somewhere that knows what you're talking about in the Greece. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what that is.
1: Uh, metalocalypse was a cartoon about a fake uh, heavy metal band. That was like the ninth largest economy in the world. Was this band? Um, okay, and they and it had it had ridiculous levels of like over the top, you know, fans getting chopped up by by stuff. It's it's a cra- it was an Adult Swim cartoon. Um, ask Amy about it; she could tell you. Our friend, Mutual okay, Now, I've me. seen
0: plenty of clips of this on YouTube. Now, so that, I know if what if this that is. Were,
1: yeah, if that were live action, that's what like the level of Renfield is and so see, I have
0: become the version of me that knows what you're talking about and agrees <laughs> we
1: we slipped I've that gone through my whole character
0: arc now. yes
1: um but yeah as long as that is something that you can deal with I think you'll have a lot of fun with this movie because it is just crazy like this has the right levels of crazy to it not just from cage but from everybody cage is deliciously over the top and he's just, his facial expressions, he's bugging his eyes out. He's doing all that. hes He has the great scene with the support group. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's funny because that happened. And then they cut to, at the end of the movie, where they're doing the wrap-up of everything, he's back in the support group. And I saw just the background character. And I'm like, wait a minute, that guy died earlier. And then he's talking to the leader of the group. And they they go through the whole thing of like, Giving us the the two word explanation of like, well, you brought us
0: back um, with the Dracula which blood, I, having I, seen I, things we can't unsee, and yes, I've got a couple of sound clips, un- and know. one
1: of those is definitely one of them. That guy was great. Right. I loved his his performance was wonderful earlier on when he's when he talks about. uh, when Renfield mentions Dracula gaining his full power and his reaction to that is like, yeah, that's a crazy way to put. I don't know why you would say it like that, but yes, his full power. like I love that.
0: Unsung, unsung unsung hero of that particular group of characters from the support group is Carol for trying yes. to tell her story and never being able to. <laughs> it's so good. She has the perfect amount of
1: sarcasm that second time runs in
0: yes well i guess so carol's moment again
1: <laughs> ever getting to do a full share like
0: and it's and part of in... her problem is that she's not <laughs> <laughs> yes it's it's it, uh, it's, that's it's one of those comedy.
1: moments that is good comedy that is like you said earlier there's those moments of pure genius in this mm-hmm. in this thing and and then when I found out that you know Chris McKay had directed the the Lego Batman movie, it kind of it fit because that movie has a lot of those too.
0: It fit like That's, two bricks together. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, it, it, it's a.
0: Uh, it does feel like going back to what you were saying about like everybody like doing. It, it feels like everyone in the cast got a call and they said, "Oh, it's a Nicolas Cage movie." Am I the Nicolas Cage? <laughs> and in a way, they kind of all were.
1: Everyone working on this understood the assignment 100%. There yes. isn't any nobody feels in, out of place.
0: Including the part that they were going to be in a Nicolas Cage movie. Yep. Yes. And that's important. Absolutely. We've gone through.
1: This. It's very important. Um, I did capture some audio. I want to I want to play a couple of these because they're they're good. I, I always get Nick Cage laughing because he does some of my favorite laughs. laughs. And so I'll play the shorter version of it. Um, But it's just, it's so good. It's him and I think it's Teddy. Yeah, it's Teddy laughing with him um, in the hospital set. And it's just... (laughs) Like, nobody, nobody laughs ridiculously like Nicolas Cage. I'm sorry.
0: But I do love how Ben Schwartz like loses sincerity in his laugh as he's going. Yes, <laughs> Where he goes he like, does. haha, this is funny too, like getting nervous. It's yep. so good. Oh.
1: It, it really, really is. Um, let's see. This was I don't ask for something. Let's see.
0: Yeah, I don't ask for much, Renville. You're just the blood of a few dozen innocent people.
1: <laughs> and uh what was it? Nuns. Uh a set a of, nuns, of nuns, a bus, nuns. a handful of nuns, a busload of cheerleaders.
0: Wait, it's a it's a uh a couple of tourists, a loving couple, a handful of nuns, a busload of cheerleaders. And then he sees all That's of his them. fast feeding. It's so good.
1: And just the reaction when the bus goes by. Are you kidding me? So, but I just, I liked that. Uh, that felt like a very cage moment of, the, I don't ask for much. He's just like chewing on whatever, whatever prosthetic they put in his mouth. He's just chewing on that thing. Um, let's see. Uh, this one's just labeled Dracula. I work for Dracula.
0: What? Dracula.
1: Oh, it was her reaction. I think that, that did it for me.
0: What? <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like she did a good job yeah did a very good job with the character
1: uh let's see back to something and thank
0: you for using Dracula blood to bring us all back to life just thank you you didn't keep the part where he describes like knowing things you can't unknow (laughs) like oh he uh, does such a good job
1: it's yeah, I did, but you, I you got I, it? Okay. I cut it up because I didn't want to have like one long one. It was uh, this.
0: Oh, it's that if, if any of them is worth it is this one because like he he goes from optimism to a harrowed husk of a man very well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we heard him say, you know, thank you for for using the Dracula blood, and then followed by, if it wasn't for you, uh, none of us would have learned what it's like to come back from the other side, having seen things that you can't unsee and know things that you can't unknow. (laughs) His journey, his journey through that sentence is just astonishing.
0: (laughs) There's a whole character arc in there.
1: (laughs) Really, he had as much character growth and art (laughs) as anyone else in the movie in that one sentence. Yeah, Uh, that one revelation of a sentence. Teddy Teddy being completely useless here's where that, that really happened it's right at the beginning it's when he's, he drives off uh, from Renfield and he, he gets to the, uh, the traffic stop where they're doing the DUI check and then he just gives up and he tries to drive around and they shoot out his tires so he just hops out of his car with an armload of bales of cocaine and he just yells
0: I got a prescription for this shit
1: as he's running away,
0: <laughs> and using so cocaine to try to slow down the cops running after him yes. for having cocaine. <laughs>
1: it's so ridiculous. He hits the one in the face. Um, it was good, and that that cop Aquafina's partner um, had this gem of a line as they walk into the Mexican restaurant.
0: Can you order me a number three? The toilet just ordered a number two. I mean, it's I gross, heard, but... It's
1: it's gross, it's, and I've never heard it phrased that way. Which is, I think, why I captured it. Because I've never heard the toilet ordered. It's
0: listen, really weird. If, <laughs> if you want to get rid of a character for an entire scene, that is a good sentence to use to get rid of a character for an entire scene <laughs> it, it kind of is actually um
1: and it worked because now we don't have we have no no reason to question why he's not in that entire uh action sequence um oh sorry no i swallowed a bug unintentionally what what other way is there to- <laughs> and she just gets cut off that that was what made that joke yes 10 times better is the reaction to it
0: was that carol again
1: yes that was carol
0: (laughs) Uh, i love carol in those scenes i I do too i'm gonna play that one more time
1: she really is um but i want to play that one more time because listen to it again and tell me you don't hear a little hugh grant in there
0: sorry no i
1: swallowed the bug unintentionally what what other way is there to like not a dead on not trying to do a hugh grant impression but like in that direction
0: i would i would need to be more of a, a hugh grant connoisseur i think to pick it up the way you pick it up all right fair enough
1: um and last one okay i have one problem with this movie only one but it's a big one fair enough oh there was entirely too much ska hate in this film (laughs) i cannot abide the hating on ska i'm sorry
0: okay no
1: (laughs) play your clip and we shall talk (laughs) and it was it was this is the clip i got that's a huge oversimplification of ska's innovative contribution to music oh my god who am i (laughs) It is so Because good. of the way she brings I, that up is like that should have been her red flag for why this guy was a terrible person to be in a, in a relationship with this because of how much he liked Ska. And it cracked me up because it's just it came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that.
0: <laughs> it's to who am I? Yes. Um. Listen.
1: They I, make the joke because right before that is the joke. Isn't that the thing that's like 99% horns? Yeah, that's what I thought. And then that's when she breaks into the, that's an oversimplification. Like I, I, I do enjoy uh, ska, but, and I think it's because ska music for me, the thing about it is, is it is infectious energy in music and it is some, uh, some ska songs I have heard are some of the angriest most upsetting like upset lyrics like angry you know young person lyrics but you're happy and like bouncing along to it because it's just that like infectiously happy uh kind of open a string type uh type music i don't there's something about it that just just gets me yeah all the
0: time there's this meme on the internet that i think is probably one of the most accurate scientific facts that's ever been observed by any type of sociologist psychologist or psychoanalyst ever is that ska music is the music that plays in a six-year-old's mind when he re- discovers he's got an extra uh, cheese cheese stick. Yeah, no, that's pretty accurate. That's how I feel
1: every time I listen to it. Uh, it's like ska music or Weird Al Yankovic will immediately put me into a good <laughs> mood. You cannot. I I I believe that you cannot stay in a bad mood if you listen to Weird Al. At some point, like it will just overtake you, and you'll at least break to being like. I'm okay now. Because his just his music is so and I think it's because his brand of humor was never negative punching down humor.
0: No, no. It's it's always very clever because of his use of lyrics. I think Sky is one of those things. Um I I, I there's there's an analogy that kind of escapes me, but Sky is one of those things that it will make you happy if you're down and you're in the right mindset for it, but it can make you angry if you're happy, if you're in the wrong mood for it. Like, if you're having a really good time in the mosh pit at the heavy metal concert, and then they, the band goes, and this is our tribute to ska, you may start getting violent. The wrong I kind suppose.
1: Of violent. I, I suppose. I think I just, I'm such a sucker for a band with a horn section that... And and I too another part of it is like I grew up right in the middle of the third wave of ska and the revival of it, and when it became really popular in the U.S., that it sort of there's a nostalgia factor to it for me. So that's when like they're making fun of me, like come on, quit making fun of it, quit, quit poking on ska. But it was funny in the context of this movie. Like I thought I found the jokes great, where they're sitting there listening oh. to it. The the guys are cutting the drugs and they're listening to ska, and then the music goes out. And like they had the ska lyrics spray painted on the side of the building.
0: I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go off on a limb, and I'm I'm not a ska psychologist, um, but I'm gonna assume that the kind of people who enjoy ska would take the jokes about ska from this music from this movie. And enjoy them. Like sometimes, like there's certain fandoms that are cool with their what they are a fan of being mocked because it is so good-natured and good-spirited. Sure. Yes, and Amy Hat and nails it. Like a, 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 a psychologist. mm Hmm. Psychologist. A, a psychologist. Right. Yes. Yeah. You get one free. I am, one I am free not one, one of those. Get f-
1: you get one for free. I will allow that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that if. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't help but not get, that was such a good joke in the beginning of the movie with just her reaction. Oh God, who am I? Um, That it killed me. Um, This movie, this movie was a lot of fun. I'm so glad I finally got to watch it. It was torture waiting until now to do it, but it was worth waiting to do it.
0: I'm I'm glad you enjoyed
1: it. it was it was just a fun ride it was absolutely bonkers in all the best ways as a good nicholas cage movie should be um well, and look, it,
0: look at it from my point of view like i as much as i sniped this movie from under you um and, and kept you from seeing it for so long imagine if it wasn't good and i had seen it once in theaters which is already an investment that i would have regretted but then I have to watch it a second time, so there was a bit of a gamble on my side. It was a calculated risk.
1: You made you made a calculated yeah, no, no, the risk. Moment, the moment the I saw those
0: previews, I knew uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I I was I felt very confident I was going to enjoy this. It's kind
1: of like there's another one that comes out or just came out um, where it's uh, running with the devil, or no, that was an older one he did. What is this newer? Um. Sympathy for the Devil is one that he just just released um, that looks like it's going to be kind of one of those crazy ones that that could be a lot of fun, uh, where he's playing a character just named The Passenger, and it's got uh, Joel Kinneman in it. Um, it just looks like it's kind of one of those movies that's going to go all out for it. So not quite to the, like, the cartoony level that Renfield is but i do think that that's going to be one of those movies where i saw the trailer for it and i was like all right i'm in like it's granted i'm in for anything nicolas cage at this point i've kind of i've sort of planted my flag on that um, but yeah that's that's one that's coming up. It, i just i just enjoy cage i enjoy his movies i'm never i shouldn't say never i'm rarely bored with a nicolas cage movie some are rewatchable and, uh, and, enjo- and much Some more enjoyable.
0: Unwatchable.
1: Some are unwatchable. Some are ones that I'm glad I saw and I never need to watch again. Um, but uh, I'm rarely bored by anything he's doing, even when it's like Wicker Man and just, you know, imminently memeable. And the whole, like, I always like to poke fun at any movie that comes out after the fact and tries to say it's a dark comedy when it clearly wasn't when they were shooting it. And I feel like Wicker Man is that movie for Nicolas Cage. Like, I don't feel like that was meant to be satire, and if it was, it was extremely subtle in its dark comedy. Um, he's done others that I think had that concept from the beginning because there's kind of a ridiculous nature to them. But there was something about that one that it just never never hit me that way. But, uh, like I say, I'm just never bored by what by what he puts out, even when they're well, not.
0: Circles- it circles back to what I was saying at the beginning about Nicholas Cage as an actor: is that every role he takes is a spe- is a different painting on this part. So you're, it, it's interesting because you know you're going to get something unique and different. Not just you're going to get something different because it's that actor, but even within the reper- repertoire of that actor, it's going to be different from one role to the other. Mm-hmm. So. It, entertaining on a meta level which you don't get with many actors that's true
1: and and like for him to be able to play you know when he plays himself in something like uh unbearable weight of massive talent yeah, and then he turns I around and like oh you do it's just it's so it's it's so much fun Like that, you enjoyed this. You'll like Unbearable Weight. It's that level of kind of fun, and it's very self-referential. He's playing a fictionalized version of himself, um, and it's it's just great. But like he just he brings something all the time, and it's that dedicate. It's like it's the dedication or the the, I'm going to bring my my A game every time, and I'm going to. Oh my god! I just realized
0: I did see Knowing, (laughs) (laughs) but like a trauma victim. I decided <laughs> not to.
1: I always forget which which one is knowing and which one is next. Because they came out within like a year of each other or two years of each other. And it was in that period no, where his hair yeah. was trying to become sentient.
0: <laughs> see, I, I need to see uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and I need to see Willy's Wonderland. Of the two,
1: personally, I liked Unbearable Weight a lot more. Willy's Wonderland felt like a good and i haven't covered it for the show yet it probably it's going to happen at some point uh, but it felt to me just quick quick review of it was like it felt like a good idea that needed a little more time to bake um it just got repetitive for me but but you know at the same time uh i know people that just love it so
0: that's I the thing. Just with, realized with, I haven't seen Color Out of Space, man. I am oh, dropping no. the ball on my horror on my horror cage.
1: Color Out of Space is probably to this point my favorite Lovecraftian film.
0: That's that's what people keep telling me, and I I mean to see it, but and listen, like I I'm understand so behind that, on media.
1: Yeah, I understand that that bar isn't super high to clear because like Lovecraft is so difficult to to adapt, in my opinion but that one seemed to get the right feel for me.
0: I I have a theory that um, Lovecraft is not difficult to adapt. I just think that a lot of screenwriters and directors aren't smart enough to adapt it, and studios aren't brave enough to finance the adaptations that would work. Because now, that, that last point, you, I would agree with you 100%. The imme- like the immediate problem you have is these are going to be stories that don't end well. Mm-hmm. So already, that's a problem. People like to have a nice little tidy con- conclusion. And then like, and when I say not, not smart enough, I'm not saying they're not smart enough. I think they're missing the point of what a Lovecraft story is. But I mean, this, this is like an essay for another day. It's just... Lovecraft ain't that deep. It ain't that complicated. No, I do think
1: the difficult part in adapting it is that film is a visual medium and so much of what makes a Lovecraftian or cosmic horror story work is that you don't see what's going on. You have to kind of fill in the blanks yourself. And one of the things that Color Out of Space for me did was it gave just enough visual while also letting you piece a lot of it together um in your head that some don't uh because what ends up happening for me a lot of the lovecraft adaptations that i've seen end up veering into the camp end of things uh reanimator yes. being probably the the one that that is the uh the most in that direction
0: and you know it happens it's a f- it's a fun movie but like you don't feel the dread of a lovecraft story in there no you feel no, more no, no. dread of a Lovecraft story from The Thing.
1: Yes, that is still probably the most Lovecraftian uh, Lovecraft, like not Lovecraft adaptation um, that I've seen. Is The Thing? Mm. It's just fantastic. Um, but no, Renfield. Renfield was it was great. Yes. Thank you. Thank thank you for being here to talk with me about it. And uh, and I will forgive you for making me wait six months to see it. Uh, it was worth the wait and it was worth it to have this conversation because it's always oh, fun absolutely. to talk to you. It's fun too. It's, I, it's interesting because we've done, I think this is your third time now, right? Cause we did Blade <laughs> Runner 2049.
0: Oh no, we did Blade Runner 2049. Sorry. I, I talk about Blade Runner 2049 so often, <laughs> like all, all my monologues, all my three hour long monologues about this movie <laughs> blend in together.
1: Um, but we talked about that, which is a legacy sequel this sort of fits a legacy sequel in a lot of ways. And I kind of like movies that do what this one does, which is like, so, okay, before I I can't let you go without asking you, because you, as a writer, I know that you like to create your stories and create your characters, but do you think that, how do you feel about something like this, which takes established known characters like Dracula, like Renfield, but put them in a new situation or take them and transplant them into something. Not necessarily. It's sort of like taking, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes and setting it present day, right. Taking it out of Victorian England and setting it present day, whether it was Sherlock or whether it was, um, uh, what was the one that was on CBS, the the weekly pursuit anyway, like doing something like that or taking these, you know, here's characters of Dracula Renfield. People have heard these stories for, forever and it's been adapted how many times to different films but taking that and sort of expanding it and telling you a different story with them instead of telling the same story or adapting a known work taking a character and inserting them into something new
0: well i gotta say i would i I would qualify these kind of things as elevated fan fiction um in the sense that like, we're we're very recently, like a few days ago, uh, we got The Last Voyage of the Demeter came out, which mm-hmm. takes, what, a paragraph, <laughs> half a chapter out of Bram Stoker's Dracula saying, hey, he was on the ship, and when the ship got to, got to port, oh, people were dead. All right, fine. And they decide we're going to make an entire movie out of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because it does, like, it basically telling the story of this 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 vignette this little part of the story and expanding upon it is the same thing for renfield like renfield is has his role does what he's meant to do he is the cog that needs to be in that machinery that is bram stoker's dracula and then someone decides well what if we do more with that cog like Mm -hmm. what where does this cog come from where does he go and that is inherently that's fan fiction now it's fan fiction that respects the material more than when like people are asking themselves, well, what if Anakin Skywalker were to date uh, Kenobi's like it's like, it, yeah. it doesn't take liberties as much as it takes what's established and builds upon it. Mm-hmm. But it is still fan fiction ish too. Now, do I mind? Not really. Um, as long as it's done well, like telling a good story is a good story where you take your building blocks to do it. Um, going back to the idea of a Lego movie, if you buy a Lego set and you build something and then you add pieces, it's still cool. It doesn't stop it from being cool. Even if you had a starting point with instructions that got you 90% of the way. Yeah, I
1: I like it when, as long as there is respect to the character that you're you're utilizing, right? Like, one of the reasons why that micro-budget Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey uh, movie that came out earlier this year I had no interest in was because it just felt like, oh, we're just doing this because it's going to generate clicks based on the name. We're going to do a horror movie starring Winnie the Pooh. I don't know if you ever even heard of this or not, but it was. Oh
0: no, I've heard of it, and like even amongst the horror community, like there's a, lot, there's a few people say, "eh, this gory bit," so that's kind of fun. But even in like the horror community, it's it's regarded as garbage. It's not. Yeah,
1: and and for me, it's because like you're just you're just doing that for a shock value, whereas something like this movie, for instance, is at least trying to like, well, here's here's kind of a fun story about like, what if the end of Dracula you know, him and Renfield have to disappear and they have to globe trot and like move around all the time as he's trying to nurse Dracula back to health. I just think it was kind of, it's, it's a fun, interesting story. And I, 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 enjoy when somebody goes into and plays around in the sandbox of kind of a story that is already established as long as they're respectful of sort of what's been there. It's like, like you said, it's not the, what if Anakin and Obi-Wan dated, but more of more of like, telling us the story of Rogue One, right? Because Rogue One, in the terms of Star Wars, we had heard about, oh, they had to get these plans for the Death Star, and they got them, and people died getting them out, whatever. But then- No, that's we got the second to...
0: Death Star. This That's a mistake a lot of people make, and I'm not going to start on this, but because this, I can go for no, no, two no, no, hours. No. Well, okay. But, like, the whole bo- a bunch of Bothans died to get those plans, that's the second Death Star. No, First I understand that. Just, we got them.
1: I understand that. Like, the Bothans- but that wasn't the story of Rogue One. Rogue, no, or 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 was it kind of what it, like? What I'm alluding to is they she got the plans. Well, now we get to find out where those plans came from. How did she get them in the first place? For me, that's that's yeah. a fun thing to explore. Even though you know well, how the she does story tell us ends. how
0: we she does tell us how they they got the plans. They were beamed to her ship, mm-hmm. as per Leia's dialogue in the very first <laughs> scenes of Episode Four they were beamed to her ship yeah Which, i have anger issues about rogue one
1: <laughs> see okay that's that's somewhere where you and i will diverge because i i liked rogue one
0: quite a bit um so i i think a anyway. lot of actors did very well with very little and yeah good at good special I mean, effects
1: nice, to- spices, spices. To a point, also, that movie got a lot of reshoots and changed a lot from what it was originally going to be to what it ended up being. Um, but I still think that it's uh, some of the better storytelling that Star Wars has done in film in the last 10
0: years, 15 years. Um, I, I, I will not rob you of this with a <laughs> thorough deconstruction. We can do that some other I, time. I, right? I did. We 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 could and it's this it would just be you being angry at me being angry at a movie for about an hour and a half and it's well, it's not pleasant for anyone. I mean, you never know. We'll we'll see. Next time we're sitting down somewhere having
1: some drinks, maybe it'll it'll happen. Who knows? Um,
0: <sighs> okay, I'm gonna but, get kicked out of a bar again. <laughs>
1: But, uh, no, this was this was a lot of fun, and this is a fun movie to watch. And Cage, Nicholas Cage, is the gift that keeps on giving, which is why I celebrate him every year on this show. Um, and he keeps putting out, like, four and five movies a year, so I'm never going to run out of material either.
0: No, and you know what's great? And it kind of hit me, like, he's just going to get older and weirder as the years <laughs> go by. Like, the, the Nicolas Cage future is bright.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's so much more to mine uh, from his back catalog too that I haven't gotten to yet. I mean, there's there's stuff. So this is a lot of fun. I now uh, where what are you working on right now? Because I know that you're between seasons of Ake Willow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but kind of just let people know like what you're working on now and where maybe they can find some of that. You got any books coming out soon
0: or anything like that? No, um, <laughs> I don't. I don't have books coming out. Uh, I'm. I've got a short story coming out in an anthology whose name escapes me right now, but I'll, I'll make some noise about when it comes out. Um, it's coming out in October for Halloween. Actually, I might have two short stories. I don't know about the second one yet. Okay. I might have, and so I, I'm, I'm, I've got those things kind of brewing, but those are already done and sort of submitted. So I'm kind of waiting for feedback. I've, I've finished. A manuscript that i'm also waiting for feedback so i have a lot of things a lot of fires in the iron but nothing ready yet um while we are on hiatus for aquilo that only means that i'm working on the next aquilo thing so i don't want to give any dates but aquilo listeners should keep an eye open in the next month or so for some early teasers and information about a mid-season a between-season special episode That we've got in the works and that sounds like it's going to be a fun one before we go back for season seven those are eventually i'll have oh sorry go ahead i was
1: just those mid-season episodes those between season episodes are always fun
0: they're good because i get i get to finish the story meanwhile like (laughs) seasons of aquilo are like they're both a season-long story and part of a larger multi-season storyline anyways but we we do have the seventh season that's going to come out um probably in late yeah Fear Forge is the anthology i already have uh stuff out for is i have there's another anthology i submitted a story to in the last few weeks okay and i can't remember the name of it i i think it's it's a haunted house thing that looks very interesting it's basically 12 it's a house with 12 rooms each room has a story told by a different horror author and it is what is it called House of haunts so it's 12 rooms 12 ghosts 12 stories okay and it's gonna come out close to uh, close to Halloween excellent so fear no it's forge not the same one and house so, of so yeah I'm I have stories in the two first fear fear uh, fear forge anthologies. Okay. and i'm going to have a story in house of hans from parlor ghost press um if i'm also going to be in the, in the next year or so there should be some news coming out about the third book forgotten to shed and Very hopefully cool. some other projects that i've been working really hard on in the last few months should hopefully i'll, I'll be able to get out to more people as as a if, if they get picked up or I can find a, a medium of publication for them. Excellent. So nothing cool immediate to announce, but the future is dark and gloomy and
1: cool. Awesome. And in the meantime, if you haven't listened to Ake Willow, uh go to Akewillow.com or search for Ake Willow and your podcasters and catch up on the six seasons that are out there because it's a fantastic show. JF writes and our friend Amy uh, narrates and produces and it's one of the better storytelling podcasts I've ever had the chance to listen to. And I don't say that I, because you guys are friends of mine. I genuinely I mean, just love the show.
0: I like, this is going to sound about in the same line of thought, but like my, my, my old, I was having dinner with my family yesterday and my, uh, my dad even said like, of like this is like your big work. And it does. Aquilo is, I think once it's over, will probably be my magnum opus until another big thing comes along.
1: It's, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, So definitely check that out. And if you enjoy this show and this kind of conversation like I'm having tonight and you want to catch it live, you can do that Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. It comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Uh, You can check it out on YouTube if you want to. um, That gets posted there. There's a video uh, version that goes up there, uh, usually going to hit on Thursdays. You can support the show at patreon.com slash wyhs or find uh, all the stuff that I'm working on at tvstravis.com or any of the socials uh, as tvstravis. uh do you avoid the social uh, media as much as possible or do you dabble in there occasionally?
0: No, I can be found on Instagram. I can be found on threads. I can be found on Blue Sky. You can find me on Facebook. Um, you can even find me on Twitter, although I don't go to Twitter quite as much because my feed is just nonsense. Now it's <laughs> it, like, I, I, I want to complain and say, oh, it's all evil fake. No, it just feels like it's random at this point. Kind of. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really hard to go there just to read things. Like I'll go once a day or so just to check five messages or not notifications from friends. But if you're there and you message me or you, you at me, I'll, I'll pick it up I'll, I'll, and I'll respond. Same for Instagram or Facebook or um, any other social media.
1: So just look for J.F. Dubo and you'll find him. Um, yeah,
0: you know, some variation of me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here.
1: When when you get more word on uh, the next project that might be coming out and you want to come on and uh, and talk about that. Oh, and I will or...
0: I will bother all my podcasting friends. You will hate Perfect. me.
1: No, you're, anytime, because it's always a good conversation with you and you bring stuff to the conversation that I don't think about. Because you you view things very different from I do, so it it makes for good conversation. I enjoy it, um, whether it's you know going on for three hours about Blade Runner or uh, Attack the Block, which we had a lot of fun watching. And
0: they're making a sequel, and I hope I they call. I, I hope it's Attack the Cell Block, and it's in a prison, and because it fin- The end of the movie is David Bo- is Bo- 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 going to jail. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense it fits yeah, no, it does. like the movie could start like on the eve of when he's supposed to be released and boom aliens again it would be perfect
1: yes oh it'd be great so uh definitely anytime you want to come back we'll have you back uh on this show um thank you so much and uh as i like to say ending all of my shows uh remember to enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other there has been wait you haven't seen
0: crashed into a DUI checkpoint, committed 10 felonies, and not to mention F.U. a room full of cops.
1: You F.U. me all the time. Fuck
0: you, Kyle! Ah, fuck you, Kyle.
1: Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this (laughs) program.